Again, it's a blessing to be here today, and it's always a blessing to go to the house of the Lord and try to look into his word, and we hope there's a benefit to us, but also mostly it glorifies the Lord our God. Uh, the first thing I want to mention this morning is, is how relevant the Bible is. You know, <clears throat> we live in a society with a lot of young people and, and some of the old people, for that matter, that don't see the relevancy of God's word. It's out of date. It's out of touch. We now got all this sophisticated uh, technology. Uh, everybody's getting on Facebook or Twitter or something else, you know, and the things that God's word say become very unimportant to people. And I'm just here to tell you that God's word is relevant. It's as relevant today for the circumstances, the problems, and the troubles that you and I have as it was the day it was written thousands of years ago. You know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. We're told by Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Those are the things that Solomon said have never changed. Yeah, we fly in airplanes and do all kinds of things, but he's talking about the way men think. And what brings trouble and, and difficulties into individuals and, and brothers and sisters' lives. I just want you to know that this is as relevant for whatever you're dealing with today as it ever was. God's word will be relevant from now. And he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. It ought to be the most meaningful thing. We ought to protect this. It ought to be put in your safe, this, this right here. That's how valuable the word of God is. I don't think sometimes... We appreciate its value. We appreciate what it teaches us. But nonetheless, I want you to know that God's word is extremely relevant. I want to go to Psalms 11, and I want to read uh, <clears throat> the first seven. There's only seven verses. I want to read the entire Psalms, but, and then we'll go back and, and look mostly at, at verse 3 along with some of the others. Verse 1 says, In the Lord put I my trust. This is the Psalm of David. Right there is the key for you and I of anything that's it's going on in this psalm or anywhere else in life. In the Lord put I my trust. You know, a lot of people trust in the government. They trust in their friends. They trust in the doctors. They trust in all these people. But cursed be the man that trusteth in man. That's what the Bible says, not what I said. And maketh his flesh his arm. Because it says people that do that, their heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 5. In other words, if you're trusting in anything but the only true and living God, the God who uh, tells us that his word is relevant, that all scripture was given by the inspiration of God, God's word is, is something that we need to put our trust in because we're putting our trust in the Lord. How say ye to my soul, free as a bird to your mountain, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the stream that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in a holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids. Try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. You know, you think about that verse right there and you wonder why the Lord hadn't come back and put it into it because the, the things that are going on and they've always gone on, the Lord hates. Violence and the things of the wicked. Upon the wicked, he shall rain snares of fire and brimstone 
and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. This psalm has a lot to say and has a really, it, it's very up to date, if you would. Very relevant to the, to the world we're living in and the times in which we're living. Some people say, well, that was written way back there. That's just something that's historical. No, it's not. God's word is ready and available for whatever our problems and our circumstances are this very day. In verse 3, it says, if the foundations be destroyed. You notice that this verse begins with a conditional word, meaning if. If this happens, if this or that happens, if the foundations be destroyed. Now, that the word foundations is plural there. Uh, interesting thought. That means there's more than one foundation that's under consideration. And we'll explain that, Lord being our helper, as we go on. But it's possible that they can be destroyed, or the question or, or that thought would have never been brought up. If they're destroyed, it must have a great effect upon whoever the righteous are. Whoever's embracing that word, that question's asked, what can the righteous do? Well, we want to spend some time this morning on the righteous to begin with. And some of the great flaws we see uh, amongst the Lord's people, not so much in the old Baptist church, but in general. When you go to Romans chapter 3, Paul said in verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And yet our text says, what can the righteous do? Well, we're going to find out that righteousness is not of our own doing. You know, I brought up this one time when I was speaking on this particular subject on righteousness, and I'll bring it up again now. We've got to be real careful to not fall into the pit of self-righteousness. People that fall into the pit of self-righteousness You'll find out that they're no longer compassionate. Many times they don't have any mercy. We'll look at some of that here in just a minute. But it says as it is written, so we're, we're having a truth brought forth in the New Testament that was quoted in the Old Testament. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And yet our text says, what can the righteous do? There's got to be some righteous people uh, according to Psalms 11 and 3. What can the righteous do? We're told in Psalm 53 that God looked down upon the children of men to see if there's any that did understand, any that did seek him. Every one of them has gone back. Every one of them. They all together become filthy. There's not one that doeth good. No, not one. He goes on here and he says, There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. We're quoting that directly from Psalms 53 and Psalms 14. It says, They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, there's one righteous person that lived upon this earth, and that was God Almighty himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We're told over in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the only righteous being that ever lived. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes believed that they were righteous. I tell you right now today, there are many among Christians or among God's people that believe they're righteous, even in the old Baptist church. They've lifted themselves up to a state of righteousness. They fell in the pit. 
of self-righteousness. And when you fall into that pit, I'll assure you, I'll assure you that you don't have much mercy for folks. You don't have much compassion for folks. Aren't you thankful that we wasn't saved according to our works or, or anything, our righteousness? Isaiah tells us over in Isaiah 64 and 6, we're all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In your best condition, in the best time of your life, in the most honest you've ever lived, in the, in the sight of a holy and righteous God who has no darkness in him, unrighteousness in him, our righteousnesses are filth in the sight of God. And we all do fade as a leaf. I want you to notice what it says there. It didn't say some of us fade. Some of us finally get the message and we straighten our act up. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's all inclusive, except for Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. The incarnate word. He's the only one that was righteous. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness unto him. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God, in Psalms 53. God looked down and none understood, none sought him. Every one of them had gone back. For we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have carried us away. And yet our text says, what can the righteous do? It goes on, it says, their throat is an open sepulcher. In other words, the words that proceed out of our mouth and out of our heart are like the smell that comes out of a, a grave. That's how rotten we are on the inside. A lot of people don't want to hear that. They think they're much better than that. It goes on and says, With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And yet I'll declare unto you today, some people think they got obtained righteous on their own. You know, that was the problem that the Jews had. And I think it's a problem you still see today among the Lord's people in, in, in many cases. Unless the Lord humbles them in, under his mighty hand. It says in chapter 10 of Romans, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God, uh, to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He's not talking about them being saved to heaven. He's talking about they be saved from the error that they've fallen into. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You're going to find that they were ignorant of what righteous really is. For the being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Do you know there are folks today who I believe are God's people that are still going about to establish their own righteousness? They fall under the heading of self-righteousness. They don't have pity on folks because they believe that they've elevated themselves above that. But we all do fade as a leaf, not some of us. God said that none understood, that none sought him. We're all as an unclean thing. But they had not submitted themselves unto the righteous God, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. I tell you what, we better be thankful that that's, that, that was put in the Bible. Because that's why we have hope. For it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
You know, we ought to be rich in mercy toward our brothers and sisters, toward our neighbors and our friends, compassionate. You know what happens sometimes, and I think it's a flaw among folks, the, more, the harder we try and the more we go to the house of the Lord and the more we try to do for God, the better sometimes we think we are than other folks. We're told in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter Matthew 7, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. God never demanded that any of us not judge right from wrong, good from evil. But when we get to a point in life of saying, I could not, I would just, I can't believe that fellow done that. I'd never do that. Friends, there's not a sin left in the, uh, that there is on this earth that you couldn't fall into. Right circumstances, the right place. If you don't believe that, you don't understand how wretched and bankrupt you really are. Poor, weak, and worthless, John Newton sang to us or wrote the song. We are. We're, we're wretches. We're poor. We're weak, and we're worthless. We have no righteousness of our own. Our iniquities, like the wind, have carried us away. They've carried us way out there. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. We have no righteousness to establish. If you have any righteousness, you owe that unto God. You don't owe it to someone else. You don't owe it to yourself. You don't owe it to the preacher. You just don't. That's, that the word of God teaches us that. Now our text said, what can the righteous do? if the foundations be destroyed. So we know there's some righteous folks. The problem is they didn't obtain righteousness of their own. Notice what it says in, I want to get 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That means there had to be a creator, creator if you're a new creature. There's only one creator that ever lived. And that's God Almighty, the only true and living God of heaven and earth, of this Bible, of these words. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But the verse I really want is verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. He made him to be sin for us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was an eternal being. It was impossible for him to die. Do you realize that if man offended God, man had to pay the penalty, but there was no sacrifice suitable, acceptable unto God until Jesus Christ, the God-man, came. And he was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's Jesus Christ, for he was made to be sin for us. He himself bore our sins in his own body upon the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. You, 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 what, you didn't get a band-aid that put on you that you might be okay one day. You were healed. Your sins were removed from you and they were imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. For I have made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was sinless. You know, he got tired and he needed to eat and he needed to sleep just like you and I do. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He was made sin for you and I who knew no sin. Our sins were taken off of us and they were nailed upon the cross of Calvary when they nailed Jesus' cross to the cross. He laid in that grave for three days and when he arose, we were justified. 
And now we have a hope that's way beyond this world and this life. That one day we'll look forward to being with the Lord forever and ever. For it made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteous of God in him. You see, we don't obtain righteousness of our own. God didn't look down like some people will tell you that are not old Baptists and say he saw who would do good and who wouldn't. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities have carried all of us away. They've taken us away. You know, we can't obtain righteousness of our own. You know, if we could do what some people say needs to be done, Jesus Christ would have never had to come. We couldn't pay part of the debt. We couldn't pay any of the debt. The only hope we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, by his stripes ye were healed. For all us sheep have went astray, us like sheep. Everyone has turned to his own way, and the Lord hath laid the iniquity of us all upon him, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sin you ever committed, I want you to think about that. Every sin you committed physically, every sin that you thought in your heart, everything you've done in your life to disown the Lord in any way, has been paid for by his blood. What an amazing gift of grace that we have in our lives. You know, it, it said where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Should we continue in sin that we might receive more grace? God forbid. That ought to be a, a shot across the bow that we ought to do everything we can to live as righteous as possible, even though we're not going to be sinless in this life. Because he was made to be sin. Your sins were laid upon him. They were nailed to the cross. And you've been justified. You know, we were told when we were chosen, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. Do you realize that God, who is rich in mercy, saved you because of mercy? And you now stand blameless in the sight of God Almighty, the Father, because of the work, finished work of Jesus Christ? You're seen as holy. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very holy. But the Bible declares you are holy and without blame before God because of his everlasting love that he had for you. That's an amazing thing, isn't it not? It's amazing. And now we've had the uh, righteousness of God imputed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing it is. You know, we talked a little bit about self-righteousness and it's something that if you're not careful, you fall into the harder you try to do, and the better you try to do sometimes in the house of the Lord and in the kingdom of God, the more easy you may recognize those who are not doing that. Don't lift yourself up. Don't be, don't be full of pride because this is who I am. You know, we find a couple of cases I want to talk about over in the book of Luke. Let's think about Luke chapter 18 when the Pharisee and the publican went up to pray. Notice what the, the Pharisee said. You talk about a man who's eat up with self-righteousness. He was trying to do everything that God had and he wanted him to do, and he, he told God he was doing it without doubt. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. You know, when you go around trying to establish your own righteousness, you can get to a point of looking down upon God's dear children. And we'll look at a case of that in a minute. Two men went up to pray to the temp temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed within himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. 
Well, you talk a man, about a man being self-righteous. This was a self-righteous Pharisee. You know, those days haven't passed. There are people that way today, even in the old Baptist church. They go to church every Sunday. They don't ever miss it a time. And when you're not there, they look down upon you. We shouldn't be that way. We should encourage folks and we should show them love. But when we lose mercy and compassion, you know, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, if you've never seen how merciful God was to you, it's unlikely you'll ever have mercy on anyone else. When you see God's mercy in your life, and I've seen it, we ought to, it ought to teach us to be merciful unto others. Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes I don't do that. But I need to be. That's what I need to do. I need to be compassionate. I need to have pity. I need to have mercy. God had mercy on all of us. He said all the things. He began to tell God of all the wonderful things he'd done. But the worst thing is, is how he, he was better. He was a far better man in the, in, in, in the work of religion than this poor publican who would not even as much as look up into heaven and smote upon his breath and said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Friends, when we elevate ourselves above that place, we've lost sight. You know, you know what happens sometimes when I said, judge not that you be not judged? We begin to judge ourselves about the men and the women, the brothers and the sisters that were around, and no, we're no longer measuring ourselves against the Lord Jesus Christ. When you measure your life against Christ, you're always going to come short. You're always going to be humble. But when we measure ourselves against others, it changes our view. This, public, uh, this Pharisee thought he was much better than this publican. Let's notice another example in Luke. In Luke chapter 15, a very familiar uh, set of circumstances. There's three parables in there. And this was, uh, you know, it begins in 15. Let me get that. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They were too self-righteous to eat with poor, bankrupt, wretched sinners. People were undone. People had not attained this level of righteousness that they thought they'd obtained. But when we get down to the last parable of the two sons, we, we see something that, that pertains to me. And I tell folks a lot of times, we see the rebel son, we see the son that stayed at home. Two brothers. You know, the rebel son went out, and I'll just kind of paraphrase this. He went out and, and lived a right, uh, an unrighteous life. Righteous is what it says. His brother tells us that he lived with harlots. He got out there and he spent all he had. And I believe the Lord brought him to the end of his way. He went out full and the Lord brought him back empty. But when he came back, he was treated with love and compassion and, and the greatest of kindness from his father. Think about that. And his brother had no use for him. His brother stayed home and he went to church and he'd done everything his dad said. And he wanted no part of his brother. What do you call him his brother? He was not worthy of the least of God's mercies. At least that's what the elder brother thought. Friends, it's easy to get in that condition. It's easy to look down upon our brothers and sisters when we begin to measure our lives against them and not against the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never measure up to Christ. We need to keep that as our measuring stick instead of measuring ourselves against others who may not be living up to what we think, but friends, we fall so short. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We continue to do that day in and day out in our lives. That elder brother didn't want anything to do. He was full of self-righteousness. He had tried to do it all right. He thought he had, and those that hadn't, he looked down upon. We oughtn't to look down 
upon folks. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The righteous are God's elect, God's chosen. That's who they are, the ones that God sent his only begotten son to die for, who, in, who took our sins and imputed them to his son and imputed his son's righteous to us. That's the righteous, not that they become righteous like the Lord Jesus Christ, but we've been declared righteous by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look back over there and it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Foundations, that's something you built upon. How firm a foundation, we sang that song. Jesus Christ is the rock. He is that firm foundation. You know, the Bible tells us time and time again that we're to build our lives as God's children on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul begins to address this situation on an individual basis, but I'm telling you here it can be individually, it can be in your families, your churches, and it certainly can be in your nation and in your government. He goes on, he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereupon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our text says that the foundations be destroyed. I'm here to tell you that every part of our life should be built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We wonder why we have a nation that is in the condition it is. It's because the Lord's people have forsaken the Lord. They have not turned from their wicked ways. And they're building on other foundations or letting the foundations collapse. They're no longer built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take, for example, the foundation of marriage. It's being utterly destroyed in our very presence, is it not? The Bible tells us that what establishes, when God established marriage, it was between a man and a woman. When they united together and became one flesh. It wasn't between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And I'll just put it literally like it is. Yes, that's a sin just like other sins. But you know, it said the time will come that they call evil good and good evil. The foundations are being destroyed, many of them right in the presence of our very eyes. The family's being destroyed. It's being destroyed. Why? Because they're building up on some other foundation. He says here, uh, for other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, basically, the Lord said, if you build anything in your life, if you're a child of God and you build upon anything other than Jesus Christ, you're building on the wrong foundation. What does it mean, literally, to build upon a, a proper foundation? Notice what Luke chapter 7 says in verse 47, 6 and 47, excuse me. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. This is all about hearing what God says and doing what God says. This is where it all begins. That's where it began in this nation. When you read Patrick Henry's quote, and I didn't bring it up here, but he said this nation was not built by religionists on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That was the foundation. You can read about George Washington, many other men who were very God-fearing men. The foundations of our government have literally been destroyed. They're removing God out of every facet of our life, and we've idly sat by and watched. We've got political correctness in our society. We can't say anything without offending someone. But thus saith the Lord is the truth. We're not to go out and beat them and stone them, but we're to stand for God's truth. You may be ridiculed, you may be persecuted, and there may come a day that you're put to death for standing up for the truth of God's word. But if these foundations be destroyed, what's left? Nothing. He is like a man which built a house and he dig deep and laid the foundation. This is the man that hears the word of God and the man that do, does the things that God says he ought to do. This is a man who's wise, like that wise master builder that the apostle Paul was. He done what the Lord said to do. He understood what the Lord said for him to do, and he done it. Laid a foundation on a rock. He is the rock, and there's no other rock other than the Lord Jesus Christ. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. What are you building your lives on? What, what are folks building their lives on? I think there's, not, there's no one in this congregation cannot declare that Jesus Christ is spoken far less than it was 40, 50 years ago among folks. Matter of fact, it's offensive to many. That ought to tell us something. They were offended at Jesus when he walked upon the earth time and time and time again. They didn't like what he had to say. You see, the righteous are those who were chosen by the Lord Jesus, or God the Father in Jesus Christ. And it's up to us to stand up for his truth, regardless of what might happen. You know, wrong is wrong. You can't do wrong long enough that it becomes right. You know, the things that are wrong are wrong. You know, think about the foundation that we, uh, of just life itself. You know, we, we had a victory in that when they removed a Roe versus Wade the other day. Now, that doesn't mean that unborn children uh, won't still be murdered or killed. You know, the Lord said, Thou shalt not commit murder. One of the Ten Commandments. It did, there's no provision in the Bible for any circumstance to commit murder. I'm telling you, there's just not. The sanctity of life is special. It's sacred. It's something given by God himself. Maybe it's us that have failed. You know, I think about that a lot. Maybe it's us that have failed. Some people believe, well, these children couldn't take care of themselves, and it's, it's probably better off this way. But God doesn't authorize anyone to commit murder in any way. Notice what it says in James chapter 1 and verse 27. Maybe this is, this is the problem. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows. Who might that be? A lot of the fathers might be those who were born out of wedlock. To visit doesn't just mean to go see them. It means to relieve them. Many things it embraces there to take care of them. That was given to the church to the kingdom of God and to his people. Maybe we fell short somewhere back through time. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep him, himself unspotted from the world. As we go through God's word and we wonder what's happened, why the foundations have been destroyed, and what can the righteous do, what can we do? The first thing we need to do is go boldly into the uh, throne of grace and ask for help in time of need. Ask the Lord to help us to stand for his truths. 
You can stand for God's truth and you can do it in a loving way. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. I don't care which one of us committed. I don't care what the sin is. When we commit a sin, we've done something wrong. It's an iniquity. It's, a, it's against God and God Almighty. David said in the 51st Psalm, I have sinned against thee and thee only. Sometimes we think we're sinning against other folks. Friends, when we sin, it's against the God of heaven. Thank God that our Jesus Christ has made sin for us who knew no sin. That's why we were declared the righteous. But the righteous need to stand up and say so. The righteous need to do what God called upon us to do to the best of our ability. Political correctness needs thrown out the door. Back over in Luke chapter 6 and verse 48, it says, But he that heareth my heareth and doeth not is like a man <clears throat> that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. If you take that idea that's spoken of there in the word of God, and you apply it not only to individual lives, but to churches, to nations, you begin to see that as these foundations are destroyed, that our country is going to fall apart. The family is one of the most essential foundations. If we're not building our families upon Jesus Christ, we're not building them upon a firm foundation. We're told that uh, husbands should bring their children up, fathers should bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God didn't tell you to go out and send your children off to every place in the world. They'll get trained, all right. That's what's happening now. They're training them everything that's ungodly and they can possibly get by with. Some places are uh, uh, worse than others, but that's what's happening. We're watching it go by. What can the righteous do? If that question was raised, there must be something that the righteous can do. It begins with prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God says praying is powerful. And we need to start there. If we want healing for our nation and we want to get back to what some people might say is the good old days, at least where the Lord was noticed. You know, the further along we go, at least in my life, the less you hear about the Lord, the less you hear about God. You know, I was watching something other day and it was in a, they was having kind of a riot, and it was, it was real sad. It, it was a bunch of young people, and they had a Bible on the ground, and they were just kicking it. They finally kicked it into a gutter. You know, we didn't get there by accident. This didn't just happen. We're all guilty. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. We're told to teach our young people, to train them up in the way that they shall go. It's not too late to start training you know, sometimes we feel like things are so broken that they can't possibly be fixed. But they can. We can change. By the grace of God, God's grace is sufficient for every circumstance that we live in and go through. It can help us to rebuild these foundations. You know, in Nehemiah, when you talk about Nehemiah coming back and rebuilding the walls, the enemy had came in, and it speaks of Satan. The gates were torn down. There were breaches in the wall. And they worked with the sword in one hand and the word of God in the other. They built those walls back. They built them. 
The watchmen had went to sleep. The watchmen's went to sleep in this country. And now we are where we are. But we're not not to give up. God brought many things to pass throughout the history of the Bible when a few were doing the right thing. It seems so easy to think, well, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't make a change. I can't make a difference, but you can. It begins with prayer. It begins with recognizing what's happened in this country. You know, our government wants nothing to do with God Almighty, at least from what you hear on either side of the aisle. I wouldn't give you 15 cents for either one of them. You know, it's just we've gotten so corrupt. And, you know, I think for many years of my life that God had pulled down blinders over my eyes, and I didn't see all the evil that I know was going on in those days. But as that has been lifted, it's certainly been more manifest. You know, we're told in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus Christ should be, have the preeminence in your life. That means he should always come first and foremost. But things have taken the place of Jesus Christ and they become first and foremost in a lot of the uh, lives of God's children. Like I said, we didn't end up here by accident. I don't know where we're going to end up in the end. The Bible tells us that man will wax worse and worse. But I'm here to tell you that we need to start praying that God would restore this land, that he would restore the morals of the land. You know, the things that are going on, the violence and things that are so much different. We did see periods of it back in the 60s, but it's really gotten bad the last 10 years. We need to pray that God would help us restore what is right. The family especially. As the family goes, so goes our nation, so goes our churches. And that family needs to build up, be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and none other. That means do what Jesus said. I hope we're not building our houses upon the sand. They won't stand. The fall will be great and the ruin will be great. You know, we got, we got some young folks and, and it's never too late to start. Us older folks can do the right thing and we can encourage them. These foundations need to be restored. If they be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Many of them have been destroyed. We see now that they're in some states they're teaching children in school that they can choose the gender they want to be. Bible tells me over in Genesis that God made them male and female. That's the end of that story. God didn't say I made them to choose what they wanted at some juncture in their life. He made them male and female. But I'll tell you, that's getting a whole lot of attention this day and time. Tremendously. That there disrupts the family foundation. Just like marriage disrupts the family foundation. If the foundation is be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That question was asked. I think there is something the righteous could do, or the question would have never been asked in the Word of God. If it was impossible for change to come, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that's, that's where it begins with prayer. And then repentance, turn from your wicked ways. You know, encourage people, if they're doing wrong, to do right. And do it in a loving and kind way. Do it with mercy and compassion. Don't be self-righteous. I know sometimes we look down on those folks, and I'm guilty of that myself, that may not be doing right or doing as thus saith the Lord, but I know that's not right either. That's not the way Jesus would have treated them. Jesus was kind and compassionate and merciful to us. May we be that way to others. Uh, I'm going to close there, and it's my prayer and hope that God will help us to recognize that these foundations are being destroyed, and if 
there's something that we can do to make a difference, that we ought to do it, that God would bless us to do it. And one of the number one things is is stand up for the truth. And just, just say, this is what, what God's word says. I believe in the only true and living God, and this is what God says. That's what matters, not what I say or the world says, the government says. I don't care who it is. It's what's important. It's what God says. And may God bless us to, to always realize that in our life. May God bless you is my prayer.